The preceding message is brought to you by Kingsword Everywhere Nigeria. Stay tuned after this message for more information about Kingsword Everywhere Nigeria. I'm going to go ahead and continue or go over the same thing I did in the first service. And I'll kind of try to rush the first part so that I can get to the second part um, sooner than I did or faster than I did in the first service. Um, this morning, I am teaching on how to be the king of kings. I'll give a summary, read our anchor text, we'll say a word of prayer and delve right in. Um, how to be a king of kings. It's not how to be the king of kings because there's only one king of kings with our Lord Jesus Christ. But how to be a king of kings, what does that mean? How to lead in your God-ordained field. How to be a king of kings, a pastor of pastors, a manager of managers, a teacher of teachers. In summary, how to be a leader of leaders. Our anchor text is Psalm 131. Psalm 131 from verse 1 to 3. It says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I concern myself with great martyrs, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a wind child with his mother, like a wind child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Let's bow down our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we commit this time in your word to you. We ask that you bless this time, anoint this time, and let your words, the very words from your heart, be communicated to your people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. How to be a king of kings how to be a leader of leaders, how to be a manager of managers, how to be a leader in your God-ordained field, not just your chosen field, the one that you have chosen for yourself, but the field, the place that God has chosen for you. Now, in the Bible, we see somebody who we can say was a king of kings, and I'm talking about no other person but the king David. He was a king. He wasn't the first king. He wasn't the last king, but he was a king that stood out. He wasn't the first person to occupy that position. He wasn't the last person to occupy that position. He was the second, but he stood out. Amen. You may not be the first person on that job. You may not be the first person in that field. You know, we often loud the pioneer. We say, oh, she started it or he started it. You know, the pioneer is usually the person that is celebrated the most. Oh, nobody knew. You know, this, the nation of Israel, they never knew any, what it was like to have a king until this person. And then we celebrate that person forever. Oh, you know, nobody has had landed on, on the moon until, what's his name? I've forgotten. Neil Armstrong. Yes, I was going to say Lance. I'm like, no, Lance is the cyclist. Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, you know, and today we loud it, right? We don't, 
who so much celebrate the second person to do it. Or we may celebrate the last person. Like, oh, okay, you know, it ended with a bang. The last person was so great. You know, and after that last person, we're like, no point appointing anybody else. I mean, nobody can beat what he did. But David wasn't the first, he wasn't the last, but he's been the most celebrated. He's indeed a king of kings. There are at least 1,100 references to David in the Bible, all over the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, all the way to Revelations. There are direct references to his name. There are references where his name is used to describe an attribute or used to give attribute to something. I went down the list in the first service. We talk about the son of David, Jesus' son of David, the throne of David, the house of David, the faithful mercies of David, the tabernacle of David, the seed of David, the key of David, the root of David, the offspring of David. Now, why was David a king of kings? Is it because he came from such a special background? You know, was his father so great? Was his family so renowned? Was his lineage so awesome and wonderful? Did he come up from a lineage of warriors, of leaders, of judges? No, we read nothing about that. We see nothing about how special his family was. So it wasn't really from a special family. And the family, the non-special family that he came from, even in that non-special family he came from, he wasn't special there either. In fact, when an occasion, how often does a prophet, the only prophet in the land, visit a household? It's like the Pope coming to visit a family, right? The Pope or the head of PFN coming to visit a family. And you call everybody in, but this child. <laughs> Amen. You call everybody in, and you even forget he exists. So even for, in his family, he wasn't even special. So there was no natural attribute that made David special or set him up to be a king of kings. Many times we want to look at our natural, you know, what we have in the natural, where we are coming from, where we are from, the history of that place, the history of our family, our family lineage, to believe that we can be king of anything, right? I want to look at natural advantages, but this man had no natural advantages, yet we celebrate him up until today. He is a king of kings. So what made him special? What made him different? What made him stand out? What was it about him that caused him to outlive his time? To extend even into the very end of the Bible, the book of Revelations. I want to point out two things today. The first thing is that he was anointed for his God-ordained place. In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16, God told um, Samuel, he said, take your horn. He said, I've rejected Saul as king. In other words, Saul is dethroned. Man may not have dethroned him, but if God has dethroned you, I don't care how long man says like you are like a, like a chicken that it said has been, whose head has been cut off. 
you know, it will jump a little bit, move around, do a few things, do a few tricks, act like it's still alive, but it's really dead. Saul was dethroned by God. It took a few years for natural circumstances to catch up with it. But God, God told Samuel, I've rejected him. He's no longer king. Me, I have a new king that I've provided for myself. He said, so therefore, take your oil because you are going to anoint that king. Right? So the first thing that stood out in David's life was that there was an anointing of God upon him for his God-ordained place. The anointing is so important. It's an equipment for what God has called us to do. At the beginning of this year, God was dealing with me and was laying upon my heart that in this year that I needed to pay attention and anywhere I had the opportunity to do so, I needed to remind people to pay attention to the anointing. And God told me, said, I will have so much for you to do this year that you would, and you will not be able to do it without the anointing. And he said this to me, he said, be, pay attention to who is anointed for you and who you are anointed for. The people who are anointed for you will help you to be enabled for what you have been called to do. So you pay attention to what it takes to connect with those people. And then he said, "Be pay attention to the people you are anointed for because the people you are anointed for keep you relevant. If you have all this anointing on your life, you can raise the dead, you can heal the sick, you can put money in people's pockets, you can raise destinies, but you have cut off all the relationships around you. You just be boiling with that healing anointing. Nobody trusts you enough to come close to you. You'll be boiling with the anointing to raise destinies, but no destiny trusts you to say, put your hand on my head, right? So there's a close relationship between relationships and the anointing, right? Because you need to... I mean, you don't always have to know the people that are anointed for you, but it does help if you do, and if you have the opportunity to, and you cut off, you know, those anointings, then it affects you. Many years ago, when I was a student, many, 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 no, just a few years ago. <laughs> See me with my mouth, I'm aging myself. Many, many, many years ago. Just a few years ago. Uh, around 98, 99. <clears throat> um, you know, I was a student then in New York, and I was kind of a broke student. I didn't have a lot of money. But every month, I would send a seed to Creflo Dollar Ministries. And I remember then, I would, the Lord just placed it on my heart. As I'm sending that seed, I'll be like, this seed, I'm sending you to the anointing on Creflo Dollar's life. This Preferred Dollar may never know me. He may never hear my name. He never, I may never meet him. But the anointing on his life knows me. Every month, the anointing on his life receives the seed from me. And then I will declare the things I wanted that anointing to come in operation to do in my life. Right? God puts in my heart, you know, the importance of the anointing. So I, I said that to say this, that you may not, it's not every time you have a direct contact with certain people that are 
anointed for you for certain areas of your life. But you pay attention to those relationships, amen? Especially when you have the opportunity um, to do so. But then the anointing is for people, is for lives, is for work in people's lives. And the relationships you have with those people keeps your anointing relevant. It's very important. It's one of the reasons the devil attacks relationships. He does. Because if the anointing, the Bible lets us in the book of Psalm 133, kind of an image of how the anointing flows. It kind of flows downstream, right? But if there's a dam at any point in that flow, then there's a break in the anointing. So if there's a dam between the anointed to the one who needs the anointing, there's a dam there. There's a break in that relationship. There's a break in the flow of that anointing. If there's a break in the flow between the one that is anointed and the one that's supposed to benefit from that anointing, there's a break there. So it's always important. See, that moment you are tempted to get offended, see beyond the offense, see beyond the action, see beyond this person did this, they didn't greet me, they didn't appreciate me, they didn't whatever, or, you know, before you cut them off. Or they rebuked me in front of everybody and they embarrassed me. Before you cut them off, see, it's the devil that's tempting you. It's tempting you, you know, so be wise. Say, okay, ah. You know, you may nurse your emotions for a few minutes and look beyond the offense because there's an anointing there that the devil is trying to cut off. See beyond the person that didn't carry your Bible when they should have carried it. Amen? See beyond they didn't greet me well. Right? Because when we cut off people we're anointed for as well, we get to a point where our anointing isn't relevant as much as it should be. It should be. You see, I, I recognized an anointing on my life. You know, I mean, you have to understand that when I come here, I come here as an apostle's wife. But when I'm in Chicago, I'm a pastor and a pastor's wife. So there's a part of me that comes and once a year, twice a year, and just preaches a message and goes. But every Sunday, I am involved in people's lives. I'm a pastor. And there's an anointing on my life for pastoring at the local church. You know, many years ago, I recognized that there was an anointing on my life to help young people get settled. Like, they come around me, you come around my home, come around my husband, things start coming together. And maybe before, I mean, different story, people that were very promiscuous before they started getting that close. And it's now have beautiful homes. You know, God would just start aligning people's lives, cut off all kinds of nonsense and garbage away from their lives, make them, you know, set their minds straight. Before you know it, they are attractive to a, you know, maybe a man that has not touched a woman before in his life. Amen. And sees every other girl in your but it's this one that has a shady past, quote and unquote. But God is not seen as one with a shady past anymore. You know, and before you know it, she settled, she has a nice home. But there was a time when just a group of ladies like that just left my life, you know, just moved on. Like now you are settled, now you have a nice home, you have your own cute kid, you have a, you've bought a house, now you just moved on. And it hurt me. 
You know, it hurts me. Like, you invest in all these people, and then when they are ready to go, they just go. One, the day she came to say, I'm leaving, I said, give me three months. I've passed on you. Give me three months to get used to the idea that I won't see you. Just give me three months. Then, no, I'll go and think about it. Then sent me a text. No, we've decided we are leaving. That was our last Sunday. Ah, you know. So it came, I got to a point where I just like, when I see young people, <laughs> Pastor May, we love you, we love you. Yeah, yeah you love me. <laughs> Until your life is settled, you love me. So I closed my heart to certain kinds of people. And you know what happened to that anointing? It shut down. I had to go through the process of opening up my heart again and nurture an on purpose going for that, you know, relationships like that again, for that anointing to get going in my life. Why? Why was, would God anoint me for work I'm not ready to do? Okay? Anyway, this message is about being the king of kings. But I'm just following the Holy Ghost with where he wants me to lay emphasis, you know. And the anointing is not just for ministry, it's for work. So, just like I shared story about, you know, young ladies, they are not my life. You may be a businessman who has been hurt, who has been burned, and, you know, you have decided you are not going to do business with certain kinds of people again, and that may be affecting your business because maybe there's an anointing on you for your business to run a certain way. So um, we have to be, um, pay attention to the anointing, the people we are anointed for, and the people who are anointed for us. It's very important. Now, David was anointed, and he placed premium on that anointing. When David had a chance to kill his enemy, number one enemy saw, he didn't. Why? Because he placed a premium on that anointing. You know, sometimes we want people to respect the anointing or not, but we don't want to respect the anointing. Respecting the anointing means that I respect the anointing on other people's lives as well. And David portrayed this. He was an anointed man, and that anointing was able to operate fully in his life because of the kind of man he was. Now, the anointing is a supply from God. It's a supply from heaven. So the fact that I'm anointed does not impress God. Lord, I'm an anointed prayer warrior. I'm anointed. When I start to pray before God... Lord, I'm so anointed when I preach. Did you see how everybody was just like, oh my God, like the words of an angel before God? Lord, when I lay hands, people are just like, just tumbling, just falling, just falling. Before God, the one who gave the anointing. <laughs> it's like if I buy my child a car, you know, maybe I go to the dealership and get the best car, right? Because this is my first child. I'll tell you a story in a few this is, my, this is my first child, so I'm, he deserves the best. I'm going to buy him top of the line, his best car, whatever car he wants. I buy it, he's happy, mommy, thank you, blah, blah, blah. And then it comes to my driver to be posing with that car. Will I be impressed? I bought you the car. But now, if he now chooses every weekend, he's going to go to the grocery store, stock that car with groceries, and drive it to the house and say, Mommy, 
I went to the grocery store with the car you gave me to buy groceries because I just want you to, everything you need in this house will be there. Then I'm impressed, why? With what he did, with what I gave him based on the condition of his heart. Now I shared, I'll share this story. Uh, that's not really relevant, but just so you know that I didn't go and buy the top of the line. My son, this um, summer before he went to school, he had a job delivering pizzas, he, he, you know, so he went. We have two cars in the house, one that I typically drive and the other one that my husband drives. We have a Jaguar and a Lexus. So the boy was called to come and interview to, for a pizza delivery job. And we're looking, which car do you take to, for a pizza? Do you take a Jaguar? They'll tell you you don't need the job. You take a Lexus. But what do we do? Where do we find car? Will you go and buy? We said, look, just go. So the boy goes in a Jaguar to go and do After I did the... The, the guy said, is that the car you are going to be using to deliver? <laughs> he said, well, I have to borrow my parents' car. You know, so he starts the job and, you know, sometimes I'll be the one at home, you know, he will drive my car. Sometimes his father will, so the boy is starting his pizza delivery job in a Lexus and Jaguar in style. He's going, we said nobody will give you tea because for a job like that, <laughs> nobody, if someone comes to deliver pizza in a Jaguar, to you, will you give that tip? In fact, you ask for a tip, oh yeah. I started with Jaguar Lexus. So after a few weeks, his uncle borrowed him a Honda, a Honda uh, Accord. So he went, started with a Honda, started driving. Okay, it's not Lexus, it's not Jaguar. Jaguar. Then after two, his uncle needed his car back. So somebody in the church that was moving out of town had this car that he had taken to try to sell back to the dealership. They were like, look at the car. So by the time they, the offer they gave him, wanted to make him cry. So he said, I'm not selling this car. And I would rather sew it as a seat. So he brought it to our house. It's a functioning car, don't get me wrong. He brought it to our car house and said he wanted to sew it as a seat because he was going on to come. He just finished his medical um, schooling and everything. And so we told Toluwa, Toluwani, praise God. <laughs> Say, kid, you can have this car. <laughs> so, I think that in, in and of itself is a lesson God must have taught him to. Don't, whatever level you are at, don't marry too much. <laughs> because I noticed the boy didn't want to drive that car at first. Yes, but anyway, why did I share that story? Well, I just wanted to, I just thought it would tickle you a little bit. But God is not impressed by the anointing on our lives because he gave us that anointing in the first place. But he's impressed by something. The Bible says God would refer to David and call him a man after my own heart. And in the book of Psalm 131, we see a glimpse into that heart. And God must have agreed with David because he put it, he let it uh, be included in the Bible. You know, it's one thing for a person to say, I have a great heart. 
have a greater. And God is like, really? Okay, it's deceiving yourself. <laughs> now get me right. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that's why we can preach a message like this and not receive condemnation. Because I can say we should from time to time have a heart check. Because when you have a heart check and you see something there that is not of God, you can deal with it without being condemned. Right? If, for example, you, are, you do a heart check and you are like, oh, there's jealousy there, there's envy there, there's you know, contention there, there's unforgiveness there, you don't have to be condemned, right? Just check it and let the Holy Spirit deal with it. But this scripture lets me realize, plus other scriptures in the word, that God is particular about the state of our heart. It's not just particular about our actions. It's not particular about, it's, it's not just, you know, just, uh, listen to the word just, not that our actions don't matter, but it's particular about the state of the heart from which those actions proceed. And David said something here, he said, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Now, going back to Psalm 131. Lord, my heart is not haughty, and I started to talk about this um, in the first service. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. When you look at the life of David, you can already see some of this there and the kind of man he was. Let me share a little bit some of the things I didn't share along these lines in the first service. Now, we know that while Saul existed there as a figurehead king, as a kind of king, everybody thought that was the king. God had already moved on to David, and David knew it. David was anointed. He knew he was the next king. But yet, Saul called David to come and be playing for him and be serving him when he was distressed. And David still did it, you know. Saul tried to kill him. And David's heart towards Saul was still the way it was. In fact, when, a, when somebody came to tell David that Saul is dead and said, I killed him. He said he was wounded and he asked me to kill him. And the guy just finished his own life, really. Because if you read the actual account, he wasn't the one who killed Saul. Saul asked him, kill me. You know, just get me out of this mystery. I don't want to fall into the hands of the Philistines. I don't want them to torture me and everything. And the guy was not courageous enough to do it. But he saw Saul was dead. He felt, because in the natural, David should have hated Saul. With all the things that Saul did to David, David should have hated Saul. He tried to kill him. He bad-mouthed him. He, he, he sent people after him. He chased him into caves, chased him all over the place. Yet when that man came to give the news to David that I killed your number one enemy. The man thought he was going to be celebrated. Maybe he thought he was going to become an officer. David said, Brent, he was, he was, his heart was torn. You know that man lost his life for it. Because to David, you just treated the anointed of God anyhow. You had the courage, you had the guts 
to take your name and kill God's anointed. That man lost his life for it. Well, I don't know, uh, you know, um, how you could kill somebody so easily, subject to debates. Probably why God didn't allow him to build him himself. There was so much blood in his hands. But it also shows a certain kind of heart. And in Psalm 131, we get a glimpse into that heart. My heart is not lofty. I know I'm anointed. I know I've equipped. I know that even when I got the chance, my results were greater than my predecessors. But my heart is not haughty. That word haughty talks about arrogance. My heart is not lifted in arrogance or in pride. It's very important we watch out for it. God may be taking you to a place greater than, in fact, as a covenant child of God, God is always looking for a way to raise you. You know, God may be taking you to a place greater than that boss's place right now. God may be taking you a place greater than that boss's position. But then when he starts to show you that you are equipped, anointed, specially graced, it's very important that we check the condition of our heart. It says, my eyes are not lofty. Ooh, and I'm out of time. But let me read... Um, this in the message, especially the second half of that uh, scripture. God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business. I mind my business. Amen? That's a whole message on its own. Of fantasized, grandiose plans. That I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. He ended up being a king of kings, but the kind of heart attitude he had is what it will help us. Amen? I mean, we learn a lot of leadership principles and all that, but this is a great principle if God is going to be the one continually lifting you. Principles that govern the heart, things that we have to check in the heart. Amen. I believe like in here somewhere is the fact that David had a forgiving heart. Amen. I mean, if I were the one, I probably, if someone tried to kill me with a spear, I probably wouldn't go back there. But hey, he had a forgiving heart. You know, some of these things are things we check as the enemy tries to introduce things into our hearts that are toxic for the condition of our hearts that we try to check immediately and we talk to ourselves about. You've just celebrated something you're, you're feeling. It's not, it's not everybody, you know? I mean, I'm a preacher of the gospel, just finished an anointed message. Everybody's like, wow, that is so awesome. That just, oh, so many miracles. Catherine Coleman said something. She said that, you know, when people would say, Catherine, wow, you are so anointed and give, and say all these great things about our ministry. She said, God allowed me to keep only enough to stay encouraged for the day. So there's a level of encouragement we all need. I mean, I don't want to finish a message and it's like, uh -uh, people now, did, I even, did you even get anything from it? You know? you know, I said, God allows her to keep just enough to stay encouraged for the day. In other words, there's a way we can just let this just like, ah, men have arrived though. Next thing for me is Tafawa Balewa Square, man. You guys just all meet me there for, you know. <laughs> 
But how do we stay in that place? We keep ourselves in check. It doesn't mean you are keeping yourself under, but you are keeping yourself in check because you know where God is taking you is greater. Remember, you don't just want to be a king, someone that occupied that position. You want to be a king of kings, a leader of leaders, a pastor of pastors. You don't live for just the moment or the 15 minutes of fame or the celebration of a season, but you want to be relevant in seasons to come. And in the life of David, we can see how the anointing of God upon him for a specific place, not just all over the place, not just any place. I talked more about that in the first service. And then how he kept his heart in alignment with that anointing. Because Saul was anointed as well. But Saul was not a king of kings. Why? Because Saul's heart did not align with the anointing. But David's heart did. David's heart, plus the anointing on his head, caused him to be a king in his field. Please, let's rise up, everyone. And I want us to go ahead and pray. Let's go ahead and pray. Let's go ahead and pray. We're going to spend some time praying. And we're going to pray, Lord, help me to recognize the anointings that you have put in place for me. Help me to recognize the different anointings that are supposed to feed into my life, to take me to the next level, to set me in my place, to set me to a higher place in my place. Help me to recognize those anointings in the name of Jesus. You are going to go ahead and lift up your voice and pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, Father, I repent of ways where I've been careless with the anointing, with the issues of the anointing, your supernatural enablement and, and supernatural grace for my life. And I realign myself in the name of Jesus. Go ahead and pray. If you can pray in the spirit, go ahead and pray in the spirit. If not, pray in the understanding. Hey, Father, the people that you have, the graces that you have set in place for me, the people who are supposed to be kingmakers in my life. Father, connect me, align us together. The relationships that may be due to my carelessness, maybe due to my not paying attention, that are supposed to be beneficial to me that I've been careless with or walked away from. Father, those relationships that need to be repaired, I pray that you repair in the name of Jesus. They are supernaturally repaired in the name of Jesus. The preceding message was brought to you by King's Word Everywhere, Nigeria. We are located at Kingsword Auditorium, Etel Avenue, behind NNPC Filling Station, First Bank Bus Stop, off Kudarat Abiola Way, Argun, Lagos. Email kmiafrica at kingsword.org. Telephone 234-810-00-006-40.